Hello there, welcome to Let's Get Sexy, the podcast where I read an erotic story and you listen to it. This is the final episode of Series 4, where we've been reading Death is a Beautiful Blonde by an author called David McAllister. That's McAllister with two L's, in case you want to look them up on literotica.com. You can search for them as an author and you can see their back catalogue, which is about seven different stories. So if you want to check those out, then head over to literotica.com. That's where I find all of my stories via the random author generator that they have. Chapter 4 of Death is a Beautiful Blonde is subtitled The Final Chapter of the Bam Barkley Erotic Noir Mystery. It's quite a longie at 7,000 words. It's had 4.46 stars, 6.4 thousand views, and it's had two likes, which is an increase of two from last time. Still no comments though, which is a bit of a shame, but we'll just have to do without that. You will know by now that I don't read the chapters ahead of time, don't know what's going to happen. I'm reading it for the first time out loud to you, and so my analysis and just general wiffle-waffle in the second part of the podcast is my genuine first reaction to what I've just read. To recap on what happened last time, Bam got spooked as he and Mimi were in the process of burying the body of her father, and he escaped by throwing a spade full of dirt in her face <laughs> and running away. <laughs> he then felt a little bit weird about his decision to do that, and maybe that it was the wrong call. After receiving $100 in the post from Mimi as a kind of thank you for, I guess, keeping his silence and for helping her to the extent that he did, he changed his mind about his involvement with Mimi and started to track her down. He drove over to the Helmsley mansion and found that there were a bunch of police cars around. And so he kept driving until he got to a coffee shop nearby where he struck up a conversation with the waitress there who filled him in on some of the details that the police had found a body and that Mimi was missing and something in that conversation triggered a memory for Bam that Mimi has a cottage down by the ocean and so he drove to that cottage to try and find her and on the way he was tailed by a mysterious figure in a black sedan and although he was able to escape it was quite a menacing encounter and it definitely got Bam's guard up a little bit Eventually Bam made it to Mimi's Oceanside cottage and she appeared to convince him that she was innocent and that she is being pursued by people who work for her husband, the infamous crime kingpin. Uh, we also learned that Bam, even though he was involved in putting the crime kingpin, who's Mimi's husband, behind bars, he was also previously involved in some shady corrupt dealings with this guy and that in fact it was a direct double cross. Mimi pleaded with Bam to protect her from a person that she suspects was sent by her husband to kill her and her father, and who is still after them, and then they had sex, and then decided that their plan going forward would be to return to the Helmsley mansion and await whoever this mysterious pursuer is and surprise him. So they're going to lie in wait for this guy who Mimi says murdered her father and is planning to murder her too. And I think at the end of the last episode, their plan was to head back to the Helmsley Mansion at some point that evening. Anyway, that's all the recapping I need to do. I hope you enjoy this final part of Death is a Beautiful Blonde. Drive your car down the filthy streets of the city. A strange girl comes out of the rain and gets into your car. 
so good looking that you're not sure how you're supposed to respond. Could it be that death is a beautiful blonde? Drive, Mr. Barclay. Drive. I'm no detective. Not anymore, you hear. You can drop that Mr. Barclay business. Just call me Bam. Mr. Barclay, I said drive. I was still holding Mimi in my arms, puffing on a cigarette when she woke. How long have I been asleep? she asked. Not long, I replied. Maybe twenty minutes. The sun was barely beginning to set, casting an incredible orange glow over the ocean. Mimi stirred. I've been thinking about what you said, Bam about going to the police. I took a long drag. Is that so? This was the first smart thing I'd heard her say. Maybe you're right, she replied. Everything has spiralled so completely out of control. I'm frightened. I'm too afraid to go back home now. I hugged her gently. I think you're making the right choice, baby. I let her go and got up from the floor. I'll tell you what, let's get dressed and get out of here. I'll head on back to your place and wait there in case our guy decides to show up. You can take your car and drive down to the police station. Mimi leaned forward, her bare breasts bouncing back to life. Do you think that's a good idea, Bam? Mimi asked. Why don't you come with me to the station? And lose out on our chance of catching this guy? I chided. Mimi sighed. I guess so. If that's what you think is best, I'm just afraid. I knelt back down and cupped her tits, giving them a firm squeeze. Baby, there ain't nothing to be afraid of. I won't let anything happen to you. All you have to do is get dressed, drive down to the station, and tell them everything. They'll take care of it. I could still see the hesitation in her eyes. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. Playing with her warm, soft breasts, my dick began to harden once again. I leaned in and went to kiss her ear when she got up from the floor and began walking towards the desk on the other side of the room. Bam, I want you to take this with you. It's for protection. She opened the desk drawer and pulled out a gun. I gave her a look. What are you doing with that? It's just a handgun. I like to keep it around for protection, she replied coolly. I want you to take it with you. Please. I stood up and took the gun from her. It was loaded. Mimi and I left the beach house. She drove on ahead of me while I was following behind. I couldn't help the constant glancing in my rearview mirror to see if anyone was following us. The black car from earlier was still in my head. Lying on the seat next to me in the car was the loaded gun that Mimi had given me. When I reached the turn for Helmsley Mansion, I waited and watched Mimi's car disappear as she continued on to the city. I was relieved that she was finally going to the cops. Typical for a dame, to wait until things get really loused up before going for help. I drove up to the mansion. It was quiet. The police cars were no longer there. I took the key Mimi had given me from my jacket pocket and let myself in. I figured I'd go inside, pour myself a stiff drink, and wait for our friend to show up. To my surprise, the front door was unlocked. Cautiously, I opened the door and walked inside. It was dark in the foyer, a bit unsettling for my taste, but I could see light coming from underneath the door of the library. Quietly, I closed the front door behind me and moved carefully through the dark and towards the source of light. I could hear something coming from the library. A muffled sound. Was our guy already here? I reached into my jacket pocket, carefully grabbing for the gun. I inched closer. I could hear the sound of a woman. I held my breath and raised the gun as I reached for the library door. There was a long moan, heavy breathing. I readied the gun and slowly opened the door. The light from the library was bright, and my eyes took a moment to adjust as it poured over me. In the doorway of the library, holding my breath with the gun readied, 
I stopped. There on the floor in front of the fireplace was a gorgeous young woman, her enormous tits pouring out and bouncing wildly from her tight French maid's dress as she rode a naked man sprawled out on the rug. The gun went limp in my hand. Neither of them noticed me as I stood there. The guy on the floor had his head turned away from me, and the girl, fucking herself with his dick, had her eyes closed and her head back. Oh my god, yes! the girl cried. Her tits were bouncing in all directions as she jumped eagerly on the guy's cock. Suddenly, the guy on the floor came to life. Fuck, baby! I'm gonna come! The girl jumped off his dick, and the guy scrambled to his feet. She knelt before him and opened her mouth. Come hungry. The guy towered over her, positioned his dick directly over the open mouth, and jacked off into it. The girl played with her tits as the guy dumped his load down her hatch. His dick sputtered, throwing ropes in her direction, but the talented girl was catching everything in her greedy mouth. I was impressed. Finally, it appeared the guy had reached the end of his nut. The girl swallowed his batch and hungrily lurched forward to devour his meat stick. The guy doubled over, clutching her head. My dick twitched in my pants as I watched the girl suck out the last remaining drops of his seed. Clearly satisfied, the girl pulled away from him and let his dick drop from her lips. The guy, still doubled over, breathed heavily, desperately trying to catch his breath. Finally, he looked up and saw me standing there. Hey, what's this? Who are you? he cried, quickly backing away from the girl. Instinctively, I held up my hands, forgetting I was clutching the gun. Look, buddy, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were in here. Startled, the girl put her tits back into her dress and stood up. Who are you? I drowned in her beauty. She was tall and slender and curved in all the right places. Her skin glowed, unblemished and smooth. She had long blonde hair that hung over her shoulders like a silken sunshine. Her tits were perfect and enormous. I was hypnotised as I imagined dropping a good, hefty load all over those soft, creamy mountains. I stuttered. I, I, look, I'm sorry, I didn't know anyone was in here. They stared at me. I'm Detective Bam Barkley. I'm here checking out the place for Mrs. Helmsley. The young maid looked surprised. Mrs. Helmsley, do you know where she is? Is she all right? You're a detective? the young man asked. I looked over at him. He stood there naked, looking like a kid with his hand caught in the cookie jar, his dick spent and flopping between his legs. Hey, buddy, how about grabbing a pair of pants and putting that thing away? I said. Sheepishly, he walked over to the mound of clothes and started to dress. The girl looked at me. Are you with the police? No, I'm not with the police, I replied. I'm just a friend of Mrs. Helmsley. I'm here checking the place out. I'm guessing you're her servant. The girl nodded. Yes, I'm Greta, her maid, and this is William, her gardener. We heard that Mrs. Helmsley was missing, but we didn't know what else to do. This isn't the first time she's been gone, so we just assumed she'd be back eventually, and we kept to our duties. I eyed both of them cautiously. I could tell they were clean and didn't mean any trouble. They were just startled and embarrassed that I had caught them with their pants down. Is Mrs. Helmsley all right? Greta asked. I nodded. Yeah, she's going to be just fine. She's on her way to the police station. Figured I'd come by, check the place out and wait for her. Make sure there's no funny business going on. If you please, Mr. Barclay. William had put his clothes back on and was desperate to get out of the room. I will go now and finish the garden. You do that, I replied. William left, closing the door behind him. I walked over to the bar cart and poured myself a bourbon. I looked over at Greta as she was tying her hair back up. So, what's your story? Mrs. Helmsley said you've had quite a bit of chatter recently. Heard some arguments between her and Mr. Hathaway? It's true, Greta replied. Mrs. Helmsley and her father have not been on the best of terms in the past few weeks, always arguing, always quarrelling. I took a gulp of my drink. And what is it that they're arguing about? I asked. 
Lots of things, really, she replied. But the other morning, they were arguing about money, and things got very heated between the two. Really? I asked. Care to fill me in on what they said? Greta winced. Well, I didn't hear all of it, so I'm not exactly sure of everything they discussed. But Mr. Hathaway was telling Mrs. Helmsley about a life insurance policy he'd taken out. He was very adamant about it, but Mrs. Helmsley wouldn't listen. It sounded like he wanted her to know that if anything happened to him, she would be in receipt of one hundred thousand dollars. Mimi's story was becoming more and more complicated, more intriguing. I took another swig of my drink. Mrs. Helmsley was trying to reason with him, Greta continued, although she's been very nervous lately too. She's convinced that Mr. Helmsley sent someone to the house to kill her. About that, I interjected. Have you seen anyone, or anything, unusual around here lately? Greta shook her head. No, I'd already left for the evening, the night they suspected an intruder in the house. They? I asked. Both Mr. Hathaway and Mrs. Helmsley said an intruder broke into the house. Yes, sir, Greta replied. They were here together when it happened. They were both so shook up about it. Fascinating. I paused, trying to make sense of it all. It still wasn't coming together. Anything else you care to tell me? Greta shook her head. No, I think that's everything I know. I'm so worried for Mrs. Helmsley. Tell me, I said. Do you think Mrs. Helmsley shot her father? Greta hesitated. I don't know. I really don't know. Mrs. Helmsley has always been so wonderful to me. Such a nice lady. I couldn't imagine her doing something like that. But she's not been herself these last few days. I've been so worried for her. I finished my drink and dropped the glass on the table. Greta eyed my glass. Can I get you anything else while you wait? Another drink, perhaps? I gazed at her. It was difficult to concentrate, to keep my head as I stared at her with those incredible tits and that little mouth I'd seen firsthand give a first-class blowjob. I licked my lips. I'd give anything to feel her soft skin, to run my dirty hands over her body. Yeah, I'll take another drink, I said. She moved to make me a drink. I dropped the gun back into my pocket. It would be at least another hour or two before Mimi would return. I glanced at the clock on the mantel. It was nearing eight. Still no sign of an intruder. Greta approached me with my drink. Here you are, Mr. Barclay. I took the drink from her as she watched me closely. Is there anything else I can do for you? She asked. I looked at her. She was breathing heavily, her breasts heaving softly beneath her dress. I made no effort to hide where my eyes had wandered. I wouldn't mind getting my dick wet, if that's what you mean. I licked my lips, gawking at her cleavage. She bit her lip and giggled. Mr. Barclay, you're very naughty. She jiggled, teasing me with her jugs. She reached up and touched my hair. You look tired, Mr. Barclay. You must have a lot of stress. Look at that furrowed brow and those sad eyes. She smiled. Greta will make you feel much better. She grabbed my hand and placed it on her thigh. It was just as soft as I'd imagined. I moved my hand slowly up her thigh, under her skirt, and rested it on her hip. She leaned forward and kissed me. The kiss was intoxicating. She sucked on my tongue, and I dropped my drink to the floor, raising my other hand up her skirt. My hands moved back to her soft, naked ass. I pulled her towards me, giving her cheeks a firm squeeze. She let out a quiet squeal. With a single hand, I grabbed at her dress and tore her top down. Her breasts popped out like two giant punching bags. Her rack was magnificent. Two enormous balloons, soft and pink. Her nipples, two plump berries, ripe with juice I was desperate to taste. I lowered myself before her tits and buried my face, my mouth open sloppily licking at her fun bags. She squeezed her tits together against my face, smothering me. I grasped at one breast with a firm hand and put the other into my mouth. I nursed on her tits like a newborn, desperate for nourishment.
As I sucked her tits, my hands continued to explore her body, and soon I slid an aggressive hand between her legs and grabbed her little pussy. She moaned and kissed the top of my head, my face still buried in her fun bags. My fingers tugged her panties out of the way, and I gently rubbed her little kitten. Meanwhile, she quivered. Giving a final lick to her succulent nipple, I pulled my face out from her breasts. Regaining my composure, I stood over her. She stared up at me, hungrily eager to please. I looked into her eyes. Suck my dick, baby, I said. Greta lowered herself before me. I placed a hand on the back of her head, guiding her down to where she belonged. I untied her hair and let the long, shining locks fall over her back and shoulders. Greta began to unfasten my belt and unbutton my pants, while I slipped off my jacket, tie and shirt, tossing everything onto the sofa. Greta looked up at me, towering over her, her hands gently resting on my thighs. You're so strong, Mr. Barkley, she whispered. Slowly she pulled my pants down, and my dick flopped out, heavy and thick, surprising her. She lit up. Mr. Barkley, it's so big. She placed a gentle hand on the base of my shaft and lifted it to meet her lips. She planted a soft, tender kiss on the tip. The feeling was intense, and I let out a relaxed sigh. Is this what you want, Mr. Barkley? Greta asked sweetly, looking up at me, my cock in her tiny hand. Baby, you have no idea how bad I need this, I said. She gave me another kiss, pouting her lips on the head, and then stuck out her tongue and graced it all along my pole. Jesus, that felt nice. Up and down she slid her warm tongue all along my dick. That's right, baby, I said. Get it nice and wet. She lifted up my dick and began to lap up my ball sack. Her tongue felt incredible as it licked my boys. As she tongued my nuts, she stroked my Johnson with her little hand. She moved deliberate and slow, driving me crazy. By the time she was finished getting my balls nice and wet, my dick was primed and ready. Like an angel, she placed her mouth on my massive hard-on and began to suck me into ecstasy. I stood there and let her have her fun. Her blowjob was wet, warm and soft. Her tongue kneaded my dick while her mouth sucked me with a pressure that made me think my head was going to implode. She grabbed my ass with both hands and forced her face into my groin, deep-throating me completely. She had a lot of spirit. I could tell she enjoyed sucking dick. She pulled away and I leaped down to kiss her. My kiss moved savagely from her lips to the side of her face and up to her forehead where I could smell the sweet perfume of her hair. I grabbed her head and then put her back on my cock where she sucked me in earnest. I thrust into her face, invading her mouth, the thick swollen head of my cock swabbing the back of her throat. I looked down at her as she bobbed back and forth on my knob. She was sucking, slurping and smacking through the wet blowjob. She pulled my shaft from her mouth and concentrated on the mushroom head of my cock. She swirled her tongue around the soft, shiny helmet and gave the tip tiny little flicks. Her hand pumped me while she delighted in my cock head, giving it soft, passionate kisses. Do you like this, Mr. Barkley? she asked, looking at me with those baby doll eyes of hers. I gave her a crooked smile. I do like this baby. I like this very much. We grinned at one another, taking comfort in that we were both getting exactly what we wanted. She opened up her mouth for my cock again, sucking it in with all her might. I was nearly ready to nut. Hey, baby, I whispered. How about we lose this dress of yours? She let my cock drop from her lips, and I pulled her up to her feet. I helped her out of her dress, my eyes glued to her tits. Her dress dropped down to the floor, and she kicked it off towards the side of the room. She stood there before me, wearing nothing but her little cotton panties and black heels. My primal urges kicked into overdrive, and I grabbed her, spun her around, and bent her over the sofa. She squealed with delight as I pulled her panties down. They dropped and hung lightly around her ankles. I spit into my hand and lubed up. 
as I touched my tip to her little hole, Greta's little asshole puckered, as if it were giving my dick sweet gentle kisses, inviting it in, yearning to be filled. I placed my hands on her hips and grabbed her tight. With one swift movement, I entered her completely. Greta whimpered. She was tight. I pushed deeper, filling her up, stretching her out. When I retracted, I felt the tug from her clenched rectum, as if it didn't want me to leave. She needed it. She was desperate for my dick and didn't want to let it go. I freed myself from her ass as Greta gave a sigh of relief. But I grabbed her tighter and charged back into her sphincter with full force. She took me in all the way, balls deep. I didn't take long to build up speed. I was ready to get my rocks off. Greta clutched at the sofa cushions as I fucked her in the ass. In and out, back and forth, I pounded her ass, giving her the fucking she was hungry for. I leaned over her and grabbed her titties, squeezing the flesh in my hands as I thrust myself into her. Greta pushed herself up from the sofa. Standing up, she reached her arms back and wrapped them around my neck. Holding her by her tits, I continued to fuck her relentlessly, knocking the air out of her. She turned her head to kiss me, and I gave her a sloppy, wet kiss, our tongues lashing out at one another, sucking each other's faces. She was whimpering, and I slowed my pace. I knew she couldn't take any more. Her ass was spent. I removed my hands from her breasts and softly placed them on her ass cheeks. Slowly and gently, I pulled my dick from her ass. When I was free, I wrapped my arm around her, holding her close. I whispered into her ear, Let's have a taste of that sweet little pussy of yours. I spun her around, and she climbed up onto the sofa. I knelt down before her, and she parted her legs wide, exposing the sweetest, most alluring pussy I'd ever seen. I grabbed one of her ankles and hoisted it up above her head. I leaned in closer to her little muffin. She was as fresh as spring rain, and I breathed in her clean, crisp aroma. I was intoxicated. I planted a soft ginger kiss on the lips of her cavern. She lowered her head back and let out a sigh of pleasure. I felt her hand run through my hair and rest itself on the back of my head. I gave her another kiss, this time longer, more sensual. She moved her hips forward. Hovering over her delicates, I went down and gave her a deep, wet kiss, forcing my tongue deep into the folds of her slit. She whimpered, holding my head down. I licked my fingers and brought them to her opening as I kissed her. Gently I spread her lips apart and drove my tongue deeper inside, tasting her soft, wet flesh. I began to lap up her pussy like a thirsty animal. Greta began to gyrate as I feasted. As I worked my tongue up and down, I felt her clit brush against my tongue. She let out a soft gasp. Determined, I began to focus on the tiny pearl. Greta was screaming as I tongue-fucked her. I flicked my tongue violently over her little clit, sucking up her flesh and making out with her pussy. She was melting like butter. "'Fuck me, Mr. Barkley,' she cried. "'Fuck me!' My dick was a steel ramrod, hard as ever. I got up off my knees and spread her legs wide open. The fact that she was still wearing the black heels had me so turned on. I grabbed and readied my dick. Her pussy was swollen, throbbing, and hungry for cock. My hardened girth spread her pussy lips open, and I pushed myself deep inside her. She was fucking incredible. Her pussy was warm, tight, and moist, a perfect haven for my fuck stick. I buried my dick deeper with each thrust. She looked up at me with those adorable eyes of hers as I fucked her. I wiped the sweat from my brow without missing a beat. Her enormous tits flopped around, hypnotising me as I banged her senseless on the sofa. She was clutching onto my arms, squeezing them tight, holding on for the ride I was giving her. You're so strong, Mr. Barkley. You're so strong. I gave her a smile. A little encouragement was always appreciated. I hoisted both her ankles up and placed them over my head, against my shoulders. 
Her opening was completely exposed and open, allowing unobstructed easy access for my fuckpole. I was nearly dizzy, my head spinning. Her tight little pussy was gripping my penis, stroking it, milking it. She was playing with my nipples, pinching them lightly. Every nerve in my body was alive and ready to explode. I'd reached my limit. Fuck, baby, I'm gonna come, I cried. I charged back and forth into her pussy, harder, faster, and deeper than ever. Mr. Barkley, she whimpered. Don't come in me, please don't come in me. Okay, baby, I won't, I lied. I knew I couldn't comply, I was too weak. I was under her spell, my dick entranced by her pussy, and there was no way I could pull out. Mr. Barkley, she whimpered. I looked into her eyes. She was the most precious thing I'd ever seen. I dropped her legs down from my shoulders, and she wrapped them around me. I couldn't stop. Her tight insides were milking me with fury. She placed her hands gently on my chest, squeezing my pecs. I stared at her pink balloons, bouncing around as if in a frenzy. Don't come in me, she started to say, but it was too late. My balls were unloading into her snatch, pumping her full of sperm. Oh fuck, I'm coming, baby, I'm coming, I cried out, grabbing her tits, holding on tightly. With my hog lodged deep inside her pussy, the dick milk was gushing out of me. Yes, yes, Mr. Barkley, she called out, clutching me. She was coming too. I thrust deeper inside her, my dick firing round after round, fertilising her with my seed. She squeezed my chest muscles as I thrust forward, dominating her into submission. I was a sweating mass of warm pink flesh hunched over her. She had worked me into a sexual frenzy like I'd never known. My thrusting slowed as my dick emptied the last remaining ounces of baby batter inside her womb. She wrapped her arms around me tightly, pulling me close. We kissed, eagerly exploring each other's mouth with our tongues. When our kiss ended, her pussy released its tight, firm grip around my dick, and I let it base the inside of her for a few moments. I looked into her eyes. She was beautiful, glowing with a warm light that drew me near, and I never wanted to leave her. Did you come in me, Mr. Barkley? she asked, her soft voice sweet and innocent. I sighed. I did, baby. I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. I was too weak. I couldn't pull out. She nodded. Okay, it's all right. She was adorable. I wanted to kiss her again, but as she looked into my eyes, I could see everything clearly. I could feel her, and I knew my mistake. I knew it right there and then, in that exact moment. I'd knocked her up. I could see it in her eyes as they bore through me. I'd knocked her up real good. Shit. I knew I'd have to ditch her and get the hell out of there. I pulled my dick from her pussy and let her go. I grabbed my clothes and began to dress. My dick was still hard and wet from her snatch, and I struggled to get it back into my pants. My heart was still thumping. I was craving more, but I knew I'd gone too far this time. Mr. Barkley, she whimpered. Poor girl. Mr. Barkley, what are you doing? I was silent. Do you not like me? Greta asked, obviously hurt. I lit a cigarette. No, baby, I replied. I like you. I like you a lot. Then where are you going? She asked, lying naked and ravaged on the sofa, gently caressing her perfect tits. I let out a long sigh. I don't know, sweetheart. I don't know. But something tells me I need to get out of here. There ain't much use for a guy like me around, so I'm going to split while I still can. Will I ever see you again, Mr. Barkley? I grabbed my hat from the desk and gave her a long look. I don't think so, baby. Believe me, it's better this way. I touched the brim of my hat and gave her a wink. See ya, sweetheart. I turned to head out of the library when suddenly I heard a racket coming from the foyer. The library door burst open and there was Mimi. Behind her, six uniformed policemen followed. There he is, officers, the man who killed my father, she cried. Be careful, he has a gun. 
The cigarette fell from my lips, and I raised my hands as I stared straight ahead at the six policemen aiming their pistols at me. Hold it right there, Barclay. I knew the voice. It took me right back to the past. I sighed as he walked forward, the chief of police, Kramer Biggs. Looks like the jig is up, Barclay. Briggs, what's going on here? I said. What do you mean by all this? Mimi approached me, a fanatic look in her eyes. You killed my father. It was you, Bam Barclay, and now you're going to pay for what you've done. You're out of your mind, Mimi, I snapped. Briggs, what's she saying? You heard her, Briggs replied. He'd never liked me. Boys, search Mr. Barclay. See what he's hiding. I swallowed hard, and I felt the gun in my jacket pocket. The gun Mimi had given me. The gun she'd insisted I carry. The gun that I was fairly certain now had killed her old man. Hey, what's the meaning of all this? What's the big idea? One of the officers had reached into my pockets and pulled out the gun. You were right, Chief. Take a look at this. The officer held up the gun. Same calibre gun used on Mr. Hathaway. Mimi, you gave me that gun, I said. You had it. You had it at the beach house. You insisted I carry it. Mimi shook her head. I'm sure I don't know what he's talking about. OK, Mr. Barclay, it's all over, Briggs said. Why don't you just come along with us? Two of the officers grabbed my hands and pulled them behind my back. They cuffed me good and tight and pushed me forward. Come along, Barclay. I tried to resist, but the officers had me. Hey, watch it, bud, the officer said, grabbing me around my arm as I struggled. I'm telling you, she's crazy, I cried. You've got it all wrong. They dragged me out of the library and out of the house. The smug smile on Briggs's face as he watched the boys haul me off made me want to kick his teeth in. They pulled me out of the house and through the courtyard where they'd parked their car. Come along, Barclay. The show's over. I was finished. There was no use in struggling any more. Mimi had fixed me up real good this time. I took the bait and walked right into her trap. She pulled it off nicely too, killed her old man and pinned it all on the first sucker she could find. I wasn't going anywhere. The officers had cuffed me and had me in their midst. The next stop for me, the last stop, would be the gas chamber. Suddenly, headlights appeared through the darkness coming up the driveway of the Helmsley mansion. Hey, who's coming up the driveway? One of the officers asked. Beats me, the other replied. They stopped as the car made its way up to the house. There was something familiar about the car. I could barely make it out at first, but as it came closer and into the light coming from the Helmsley mansion, I realised it was the black car that had been following me. Briggs and Mimi had just come out from the house and stared as the car pulled up. Everyone waited and watched as a man in a dark overcoat climbed out of the car. Hold it right there, boys, the man said to the officers clutching me. And what's the meaning of this? Briggs bellowed. Who are you? The man walked over to Briggs and Mimi. Maxwell Leitner, private investigator, he replied. And Chief Briggs, I'm afraid you've got the wrong man. Briggs made a face. What are you talking about? What do you know about Mr. Barclay? Leitner took a cigarette from his coat pocket. Well, for one thing, I know that Mr. Barclay here had absolutely nothing to do with the death of Mr. Reginald Hathaway. A wave of relief rushed over me. Mimi began to back away. No, no, it's not true, she exclaimed, shaking her head. Mr. Barclay is the murderer. He killed my father. Calm down there, lady, Leitner said, lighting his cigarette. Mr. Barclay here is no murderer, and neither are you. Mimi gaped at the man. Briggs was becoming unhinged. I tell you, sir, what is the meaning of all this? If you know something, you'd better start talking. Look, Leitner began, I've been following both Mr. and Mrs. Helmsley for the past two days, and I now know that neither of them killed old Mr. Hathaway. 
The truth is, Mr. Hathaway committed suicide. Shocked, Mimi held a hand to her mouth. What? You see, Mr. Hathaway recently found himself in a good amount of trouble with the wrong sort of people, he continued. Gambling debts that were sure to ruin him. When it became obvious that Hathaway wouldn't be able to pay, a man was sent to the house to check in on the matter. The intruder the other night, Mimi asked. Bingo, he answered. Word got out that your old man was hiding the money in the house, but when the intruder saw Hathaway wasn't alone that night, he chickened out and fled. That's when Mr. Hathaway came to see me. He hired me to track down the intruder and keep an eye out on Mrs. Helmsley here. And did you find this intruder? Briggs asked, genuinely intrigued. Oh yes, I found him, Leitner replied. I found him at the bottom of a cliff. When he returned to his boss without the money, I'm afraid things didn't go too well for him. So it wasn't someone sent by my husband, Mimi said, relieved. But what about my father? I've come to the conclusion, Mrs. Helmsley, he replied, that your father felt it best to off himself, thereby erasing the debts he owed, and additionally he knew that in the event of his death you, as his daughter, would receive a hefty life insurance payout. It also helped that he already had rather a nice stash of bills hiding in the house. But he knew he needed to get it out of Helmsley Mansion right away, and so... And so he asked me to collect it and hide it at the beach house. Mimi finished thoughtfully. Of course, he asked me to take it right away. Wouldn't allow me any questions. He just kept rattling on about his will, how everything was in order, the life insurance policy. I was furious with him. I had no idea what he was so upset about. So I left with the money and hid it at the beach house. And when I returned, he was dead. Quite right, Leitner replied. While you were out, your old man killed himself. I know this because the police report confirms Hathaway's time of death, and I was able to confirm that Mrs. Helmsley here was seen at the little coffee shop at that exact time by a... <clears throat> he paused and cleared his throat. Very accommodating young waitress. The report also cites that Hathaway had powder burns on his face. He was left-handed, and the angle of the bullet in the left temple showed that the wound was self-inflicted. A clear suicide, if you ask me. I looked over at Briggs. He was clearly embarrassed. Leitner elaborated. Mrs. Helmsley was out of the house and on her way to hide the cash at her father's orders, exactly when Mr. Hathaway died. He was certain his death would be classified as a suicide. He never intended for Mrs. Helmsley to be suspected. Oh, Dad, Mimi weeped. Biggs grumbled, clearly annoyed. Well, what about Mr. Barclay here? Barclay, Leitner went on, was Mrs. Helmsley's poorly conceived plan. She thought she'd be fingered as her father's murderer, and, I'm concluding, concocted a scheme to find a chump to take the fall. Mimi sniffed. It's true, he's right. I breathed a long, loud sigh. Hey, fellas, I said to the officer, bruising my arms. You heard the lady. You mind taking your hands off me? Reluctantly, they let me go. Leitner took a puff from his cigarette. Later that night, I followed her down to Derby Boulevard. It was you, Mimi realised. I thought you were someone sent by my husband. I thought it must have been you who broke into our house. I saw you run away from me, Leitner went on. I watched her jump into Barclay's car. I knew something was up right away. That's when I started tailing Barclay. I suspected Mimi's plan, tried to keep tabs on the situation, but Barclay kept eluding me. I had a suspicion, however, that I'd find him here tonight, and it looks like I arrived just in time. I was glaring at Mimi, furious with her. She was crying, her head down. Oh no, I suppose I'll be the one you take down to the station tonight, officer. Briggs sighed. I'm afraid so, Mrs. Helmsley. He walked over to Leitner and held out his hand. 
I suppose I owe you an apology, Inspector. Thank you for clearing up this whole mess. Don't mention it, Leitner replied. The officers removed my cuffs and latched them onto Mimi. As she walked to the police car, Mimi hesitated as they approached me. I glared at her. Well, baby, you gave me a nice ride. A very nice ride. She looked at me, pained, but nevertheless beautiful. I'm so sorry, Bam. I'm so terribly sorry. I loved you. Can you ever forgive me? I gave her a once-over. The legs, the curve of her ass, her gorgeous tits, and that incredible shining blonde hair. I smirked, shaking my head. What a dame. Baby, I said, if you ever see me, maybe walking down the street or driving up the boulevard, and something compels you to stop me or jump in my car, don't. Just keep walking. Mimi's face fell, and the officers escorted her away, helping her into the car. I looked up at the night sky, the moon casting a blue glow over the courtyard as the gothic mansion towered up above. It had been a crazy couple of days, but I was looking forward to getting back to my cubbyhole of an apartment. Hey, Chief! A young man's voice called from the front of the house. I looked over. One of Briggs's boys, having just come from the house, was trying to get his attention. I squinted and saw that his fly was down, his hair dishevelled, and his tall shirt was partly untucked. Standing next to him was Greta. Her dress was wrinkled, and she had missed the thick streak of the boy's jizz that clung to her long blonde hair. I found this girl inside. She said she might be able to give us some information. I laughed to myself and walked to the car. Have fun, buddy. She's your problem now, I thought. A week later, I was on my phone with my buddy Joe, an upcoming big shot down in Hollywood. Is that so? She's working out well for you then, I asked. Buddy, you weren't kidding, he replied. This girl sucks dick like an angel. I heard him put his hand over the receiver. That's right, baby, just like that. Suck on the tip. Yeah. He was back. Bam, you still there? Yeah, I'm here, I chuckled. Glad to hear she's working out for you. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, she's incredible, Joe replied. And you say she was stuck hiding out in some little coffee shop? Christ, well, thanks for sending her to me. Oh, fuck. Hey, Bam, buddy, I gotta go. Fuck, baby, I'm gonna come. I smiled, hung up the phone, and reclined in my desk chair. I stared out of the office window and thought about the last week. After Mimi was charged and put away, Briggs apologised for the mix-up and said he hoped there was no hard feelings, said he'd been holding a grudge for too long and reinstated my badge, gave me everything back. So there I was, back in my office, at my desk, looking over the dirty, rotten city that I hated. Detective Bam Barkley, back in action. Mr Barkley? The little brunette on her knees before me squeaked. Am I doing okay? You're doing great, sweetheart, I replied. I leaned back and placed my hands behind my head as she sucked my dick. What about me, Mr. Barkley? The cute little redhead chimed in, sweetly tonguing my balls. You too, baby. I winked at her and she smiled with her cute freckles. I couldn't wait to paint over them, covering their little face with a splash of warm cum. Mr. Barkley, these two have been having all the fun, said the dark-haired doll, rubbing my shoulders. It's my turn to taste it. I laughed. Girls, girls, all three of you can enjoy. I looked at the brunette. Here, you suck on it. I pointed to the red-haired girl. You can lick my balls. I instructed the dark-haired girl. And baby, you can climb up on this desk here and let me eat that sweet little pussy of yours. The girls giggled, and each of them did as they were told. My eyes nearly popped out of my head when the two on my cock began to play with my balls as they made out with one another, my dick entangled in their wet, sloppy kiss. Mr. Barkley, your penis is so big, the little brunette whispered to me. Shh! I hushed her quietly, placing a hand on the back of her head. No talking, baby. Just suck. Obediently, she opened up. I pushed her head down, and I put her mouth back on my dick where it belonged. The End
Drive your car down the filthy streets of the city A strange girl comes out of the rain and gets into your car She's so good looking that you're not sure how you're supposed to respond There we go. <laughs> that was the final chapter of Death is a Beautiful Blonde by David McAllister. I gotta say, I was not expecting that ending. I think it's nice when you read or, or maybe watch a murder mystery and you haven't worked it out by the end. <laughs> I think that's always fun when they surprise you with some new twist. I certainly didn't expect there to be another detective, <laughs> a better detective than Bam, coming in at the end to just save the day. In a way, it, it panned out exactly as I expected it to until the point when he appeared and then told us all what actually happened in a bit of a Sherlock Holmesy, y type way. I feel like Bam would have probably been a bit embarrassed to be shown up so badly if it wasn't his ass that was getting pulled out of trouble. And he really got pulled out of all the trouble, didn't he? <laughs> Completely forgiven for all of his crooked cop dirty dealings in the past, somehow. I mean, I don't know how being innocent of this crime absolves him of the crimes he committed in the past. The other thing he got away with was impregnating Greta the Maid. I mean, I guess, you know, how scientific of a pregnancy test is Bam's assessment of the look in Greta's eyes? Who knows? But it was definitely convenient that there happened to be a young chump around to pin that pregnancy on for Bam. Quite neatly reflects what Mimi's plan was. <laughs> Although Mimi doesn't get away with it in the way that Bam does. Women in this story, it seems, rarely catch a break. Oh, so condoms have been around since 1855. So it's not like that wasn't an option. It's just that Bam was never going to do that. He was never going to wear one. I wonder when they became popular. Okay, so by the mid-19th century, they were popular. So I think, you know, they were clearly available in the 1940s. I, I, I think the pill was much later. Yeah, so the pill wasn't invented until the year 1950. So that wasn't available Contraception as a concept, definitely a thing during this era, just in a format where it's basically in control of the men to decide to use it or not. And it seems like women are pretty powerless and basically have to go along with whatever men want. It's quite a bleak world for women, I think, in this story, in a way which I wonder, is it supposed to be sexy? To me, I think it's hard to read this story without feeling a bit sorry for basically all the women in it, and a bit angry at all the men who have all the power and basically treat women like shit. But I don't want to bang on about the sexism in this story too much, because I think it is deliberate. I think it's part of the attempt to parody the 1940s detective genre, and I haven't seen a lot of film noir from that era but i can even think of films from much later than that like a lot of the early bond films were incredibly sexist <laughs> dismissive of women treating them as basically sex objects and so i can imagine that there's a grain of truth in this even if it is being parodied and exaggerated here in this story I will say, though, that even though it's a parody, I don't think it's fine. <laughs> I don't think that makes it fine. 
because it is genuinely hard to read it without having these alarm bells of just how unjust it is going off in your head. It definitely distracts from like any enjoyment you could have from the story in an erotic way, at least for me. And I was actually thinking, you know, what kind of person enjoys this story? Is it somebody who is really sexist? Or is it somebody who is maybe just trying that on as a sort of temporary point of view <laughs> because it creates a fantasy where men get to have a lot of sex which is a kind of novelty i guess you know there's a sense that that's not how things are now and so there's a novelty in playing that out as a fantasy in fiction or is it read maybe by people who enjoy power imbalances in the same way that Lisa from Lesbian Slave Island enjoyed them? Maybe the idea that these women are powerless is appealing to a kind of power imbalance fetish, like a dominant submissive type dynamic. I'm not entirely sure. And maybe it's, it's all of those at the same time. I have to say, though, I think if I found this story out in the wild, not reading it as a podcast just reading it because I decided I wanted to read an erotic story, I don't think I would be able to find it that erotic. I think I would read it, though, because it's quite funny. There's something funny to me about an erotic parody of a genre which is usually quite, like, dark and mysterious and quite a serious genre. So it's funny to have it be <laughs> this over-the-top, hypersexual, almost camp fuckfest contained within that genre. One of the things I quite like about this story is that everyone is fucking all the time, you know? <laughs> like, any free moment where there are two people, they are having sex. I don't think it really added much to the story, to be honest, to have Greta the maid and William the gardener having sex and Bam walking in on them doing it, apart from just to have another sex scene in there. I thought it was funny as well that when Bam does walk in on Greta and William together, he describes the gun in his hand going limp. I thought that's such a glaring missed opportunity for a double entendre that I almost wonder if the author is deliberately messing with our expectations there. There's also a bit in that scene where Bam describes William the gardener as looking like a kid caught with his hand in the cookie jar, his dick flopping between his legs. And I know those are supposed to be two different aspects of William's condition, but the way they're presented in the same sentence, it almost seems to imply that there's something about stealing cookies during childhood that just makes your penis flop around, like it's somehow outside your control. And then, of course, the detective who comes in at the end, Mr. Leitner, who maybe I should have done him with a German accent, actually. I didn't think of it like that, but I guess Leitner is a German name. But he mentions he went to the cafe too, and of course, <laughs> he had sex there as well, because everyone in this story is having sex. Or I guess maybe it's more accurate to say that every woman in this story is obliged to have sex with any man who not even asks for it, but hints at it. Sometimes a look. About that, though, there were some pretty cringe moments there, I thought, with Barclay and Greta. I think because it's just, it's so inappropriate. But there Greta is, just doing her job. She's a maid. She's just, I, I guess, no, she's not a maid, is she? She's a servant. So she's there serving a drink to Bam. She's like, oh, can I get you another drink? And then she asks quite an innocent question, you know, is there anything else I can do for you? And Bam is there in this creepy way, perving on her, like just projecting his own desires onto her. Like, oh, she was breathing heavily and her breasts were heaving. The line for me, I made no effort to hide where my eyes had wandered. Ooh, 
<laughs> so creepy. And then what he says is obviously like a HR nuclear bomb going off. <laughs> he says, I wouldn't mind getting my dick wet, if that's what you mean, and licking his lips while gawking at her cleavage. Barkley is so disgusting <laughs> as a misogynist the whole way through that I think it's hard to take it seriously as, I guess, what you would call wanking material, <laughs> you know? It seems like this story was written more as a joke than to really get people off. Even though I'm sure there are people getting off, you know, nothing wrong with that. I think to me it's just a bit close to the bone not to seem like a big joke. I thought it was quite a balanced chapter in a, in a lot of ways. In the past, we've had ones that were much more heavy on the sex description, less on the narrative, and then others that were heavy narrative, less sex. This one had a nice balance of the both. I was surprised again by just how easily Bam seems to fall in love with these women and find himself completely powerless to the strength of his own libido. I really think that Bam does have a problem. He might be a sex addict. It's only been a few hours since he had sex with Mimi, and already he's telling Greta the maid how badly he needs her to suck his dick, bearing in mind that he also had a blowjob earlier that morning from the girl at the coffee shop, and then the previous night he'd had sex with Mimi, and he got the blowjob in the car from the waitress who tried to steal his wallet. In a way, Bam's constant sexual urges are probably quite a burden on him. If he didn't live in this 1940s parody where all the women are up for it 100% of the time, I think Bam might lose his mind, or maybe just one of his forearms would be noticeably overdeveloped. And that whole scene with her saying, don't come in me, and then he lies. <laughs> oh no, don't worry, I won't. And then he does. And then afterwards, she's like, did you? He's like, yeah, I did, sorry. She's like, it's fine, just defeated, it's fine, whatever. Just such a sad scenario, I think. It's just, it's a bit on the nose, isn't it? That kind of thing must happen all the time. And I wonder whether it's actually, you know, I don't think it was over the top enough to be parody. I think it's, it's struck me as just too real, all too plausible. And that made me just a bit sad reading it, I think. You know, she's got no agency over her body. And Bam's taking no responsibility and just, you know, doesn't really give a fuck. There's almost kind of an Austin Powers-ness to this story. But I think where Austin Powers is quite cheeky and light-hearted and playful at times, and it almost, you know, it, it almost apologises for the jokes it makes, and, and the irony in it is highlighted in a way where you can tell it's tongue-in-cheek. It's less true of this story. <laughs> and I've said it before, but it's just sometimes just too close to the bone to feel comfortable even laughing at. And maybe it's because I find Bam quite a hard character to relate to. I mean, because he's a bad person. <laughs> you know, he is a crooked cop. And he's quite a cynical, negative type of character. But also, he's quite a brute Especially compared with the other men we've had in stories so far. Just think of how caring and gentle that Mike and Alex were with each other. And even Dan in Country Cottage seemed to have quite a sensitive side. Contrast that with how Bam acts. And it's hard to feel good about him getting basically all the sex that he wants. <laughs> and so much of the description of how he has sex is put in these aggressive military terms. As though sex is... Even the violence of it is something which contributes to his enjoyment. Having sex with a woman is almost like a kind of attack. And he's always blasting or firing 
invading and ramrodding his way through every encounter like he's trying to do as much damage as possible and even when he's going down on Greta and trying to do something for her enjoyment the description we get is that he is licking her violently (laughs) and if he's doing anal then he's trying to make it as rough and unpleasant for the recipient as he can and he seems to delight in the discomfort that he's almost certainly causing We don't get a lot of physical descriptions of Bam, aside from those about his penis, which obviously we get loads of different ways to describe that. The one descriptive piece that we get in this chapter is quite a gross one, really. It's post-orgasm, when Bam is a sweating mass of warm pink flesh hunched over Greta. And I can't think why the author would put something like that in the story, unless they're trying to draw our attention to how utterly disgusting Bam Barkley is. But if that's the case, then why give Bam the happy ending that he gets? (laughs) You know, if we're supposed to think of Bam as this disgusting pig, then why would we enjoy his victorious ending, getting his job back and out of trouble and this three-way blowjob? (laughs) Maybe we're supposed to have a complex relationship with Bam as an audience, where we think, you bastard. The son of a bitch has done it again. You know, it's a love-hate relationship. (laughs) Your guess is as good as mine. That scene with the triple blowjob back in the office in the epilogue is just completely ridiculous, though, isn't it? It's just a mad situation that, while in the middle of a blowjob, you would pick up the phone and call up your buddy. (laughs) Men are pretty private about all of that personal stuff, We don't talk at the urinals or in the gym changing rooms. I think most guys are pretty embarrassed and private about everything like that. I think the other thing is it would be a pretty big turn-off to know that your friend is listening in on you. (laughs) And I also think I'd be pretty uncomfortable on the other end if one of my friends called me up while they were having sex. Like, can't you find a better time to call? Or is there something about hearing my voice and knowing I'm listening that helps you get off? If that's the case, then I didn't consent to be part of this. I don't, you know, leave me me out of it. So that, to me, was a very strange scene. (laughs) I didn't really get it, apart from to just have a a final ridiculous thing that, that Bam has. Anyway, I think that was a good final chapter. I thought it was a good series. I'm glad it was a four-parter and it was something a bit funny. I think it was one of the first stories we've had that was actively trying to be humorous and there were definitely some surprises along the way and I think it was surprising in a different way from the way that previous stories have surprised me in that I think it's the first story we've had where there wasn't really any sense of romance to it. All the sex was just kind of hardcore banging. There was very little build-up or growing erotic tension that we've had in previous stories. In this story, it was 0-60 in the first couple of sentences, really. By the end of the first paragraph, Bam Barkley was already having his first blowjob. And I don't think we've had a story where that's been the case, or where sex felt so meaningless before. This story was incredibly physical. And there was almost no emotional engagement at all. And even when there is, it's very shallow. And it's also completely one-sided. It's focusing on basically the physical attributes that Bam really likes. (laughs) And even though he does say these kind of hyperbolous things about the women, it's hard to believe that he really thinks that. 
because of how often he says it to so many different people and how quickly he moves from one woman to the next and each one of them seems to be his next obsession the most beautiful woman in the world <laughs> to bam apparently is the one that you're putting your penis near at that particular moment unfortunately there are no comments i think it would have been nice if there had been more comments in this series of the podcast uh, maybe i will look for the next series for a story with a few more comments i felt like in a way wings of gray had a few too many comments sometimes and it was hard to keep track of them all and felt like a bit of a chore to go through them. So I wasn't too worried about it for this season, but I think it does add something to have a couple of comments. Maybe three or four per episode would be ideal. So I'll look out for that for next time. If you've enjoyed this story and you want to read some of David McAllister's other work, then you can go onto literotica.com and search for David McAllister with two L's as an author, and you'll see his stories there. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please give it five stars, subscribe, share it with your friends, with your family, perhaps, anyone who you think might enjoy this podcast. And I'll see you in a week's time for series five of the podcast. And I was thinking, because it's coming to that time of year, maybe I will try and find a Christmassy themed erotic story, maybe some naughty Santa business. Mr. and Mrs. Claus getting up to no good. I'll have a look what I can find and you'll have to wait until next week for the big reveal. Until then, I wish you a very good week. Take care. Goodbye. Drive your car down the filthy streets of the city A strange girl comes out of the rain and gets into your car So good looking that you're not sure how you're supposed to respond. Could it be that death is a beautiful blonde? Drive, Mr. Barkley. Drive. I'm no detective. Not anymore, you hear. You can drop that Mr. Barkley business. Just call me Bam. Mr. Barkley, I said drive. She was desperate for my dick and didn't want to let it go. <laughs>